let's, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 4, which we're going to look at this morning. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labour and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And you might want to keep that passage open in front of you, because I'll, I'll be referring to it as I, as I go through. And uh, I haven't got any PowerPoint, so, so nothing will come up behind me, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, it, it will just serve you well just to have the passage open. As you know, we're, we're preaching through 1 Timothy. Um, we've had a bit of a break sort of over Christmas, and uh, Guy obviously spoke from 1 Timothy 3 when, when he set in Dave Lockyer two weeks ago as an elder. And uh, it's important that we complete the task. We want to press through with this, and there is huge value in, in working through larger passages of Scripture like this whole book. And we come now to chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. And this is headed in the NIV anyway, Instructions to Timothy. Because here the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, turns his attention to Timothy himself and begins to speak directly into his life. Remember, not only was um, Timothy a great friend of Paul's and a, a true son in the faith, But he was also sent by Paul to Ephesus to act on his behalf. It was a bit like when a a diplomat or an ambassador goes into a foreign country. And when that ambassador speaks, they speak with the authority of their government behind them. Well, Timothy carried Paul's authority as an apostle as he ministered to the church there. And so it's not surprising that Paul kept 
quite a close eye on Timothy and, and looked for opportunities to speak into his life. I don't know, maybe even Paul was just a little bit nervous. I mean, his own reputation was at stake here. And if, if you're in leadership or, or any sort of management position at all, you, you probably know what this is like, don't you? When, you? when you delegate a job to somebody and you do trust them and, and you, you release them into the, into the role, but you're also just a little bit nervous and, and you kind of keep an eye on how things are going. Well, Paul was concerned about the church in Ephesus, but he also had a concern for Timothy in a good way. In a a positive, healthy way. And so on this occasion, he didn't write this letter to the church in Ephesus directly, like he did with the book of Ephesians. Here he took the opportunity to write to Timothy. And you know that your situation as a Christian is actually very similar to Timothy's. Because you have a job to do. And you carry the authority of somebody else. The authority that you carry comes from God himself. When Jesus gave his commission to the disciples, he said, All authority has been given to me. Now make disciples and baptize in my name. And that's the key expression, in my name. When Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, you read about it in Acts 4, the high priest asked them, By what name... Did you do this? He was asking, where is your authority? And they answered him, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as a disciple of Jesus, you've been given his authority to literally act on his behalf as you do the work that he's called you to do. And so it follows, doesn't it, that just as Paul was concerned for Timothy... And the way that he conducted his ministry. So God is acutely interested in your life. And in the choices you make. And in the way you relate to others. Partly for your sake. But primarily because this reflects on God's glory. His own reputation is at stake. And so although this chapter is called Instructions to Timothy, don't clock out and think, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me then. Actually, it applies to you in a, in a big way. And the main theme that, that Paul wanted to address to Timothy was godliness. He said, train yourself to be godly. Focus on it. Work hard on it. You see, godliness, quite simply, is a life that is devoted to God. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want lives that are devoted to God. It's not just about one compartment of your life, you know, the the church part. It's about your whole life. It's about your time at work. It's about your time at home with your family. Time in private when you're on your own. Time with friends. And the extent to which you honour Jesus and invite him in to be Lord in all those separate areas of your life. Well, I just have four points I want to make this morning. And I don't think it will take very long, so don't worry. The first thing I want to look at is the opposite of godliness. Because that's where Paul started in this chapter. 
I then want to look at the sources, three sources of godliness that are in this passage. Godliness comes from truth and good teaching, from fellowship with one another, and it comes from using your gifting. Okay, so that's where we're going. Let's start with the opposite of godliness. Verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in the later times, the later times are now, some will abandon the faith. You see, there is an alternative to a Christian life that's lived in devotion to God. And that's a life that is heading for the abandonment of the faith. And it's a position of loss. It's a position of judgment. We've already been told in chapter 1 how Hymenius and Alexander shipwrecked their faith. And were handed over to Satan. That's God in effect saying, I don't want you to bear my name anymore. And I'm going to, you could bear the name of Satan instead. I'm taking my authority away from you. And what a terrible place that is to get to. But thankfully, that is very much the end stage. There are steps along that road that leads to the abandonment of your faith that are lit up like a Belisha beacon, warning you not to proceed further. You see, the starting point on that road is unresolved sin. And the Bible makes it clear that as a child of God, you have complete victory over sin. And there is no reason for you to give in to that temptation to sin. Living in obedience to God will always fit who you are as a Christian better than walking in disobedience. But there is still that kind of battle with the flesh. And maybe you're working through some issues from before you're a Christian. I mean, I don't want to be in unreality and say that that you will never sin. But the important thing is this. If you do sin, make sure that it drives you back to God. You see, there are two wrong responses to sin in your life. The first wrong response is to say, well, that didn't really matter. That's... Yeah, I'm sure that was was kind of justified, really. God won't mind. No, that's a lie. God, God does mind. It does matter. All sin is abhorrent to God. But there's another wrong response. The other wrong response is to say, well, that's it. I've messed up. My relationship with God is finished. I'm rubbish. I'm on my own now. Well, The very second you sin, there is forgiveness available to you. And your sin should drive you back to God, saying, I'm so sorry for disobeying you again. I call out on your mercy. Please forgive me. And that's it. If you mean what you say in your heart, if you come to God with repentance, then that sin is resolved. It's dealt with forever. And the problem with unresolved sin is that it leads to a seared conscience. And that's what was happening with some of those around Timothy. Their consciences had been seared as with a hot iron. And I've seen this happen to people and, and it's, it's, uh, it's a tragedy. It's, it's very sad. You see, your conscience is a precious 
God-given thing. It's part of your spirituality. In fact, it's one of the things that marks you out as distinct from the animal kingdom. No living thing, apart from a human being, has a, a, a conscience. Now, when you watch dog films like Lassie, you can sort of begin to, to think otherwise, can't you? But, but this is the truth. You might have a very clever dog who understands cause and effect, but he doesn't have a conscience. So when, when your dog pees against the sofa, and the next thing he does is he hides under the kitchen table. And I haven't got a dog, but if I did have a dog, he would hide under the kitchen table for good reason. And, uh, but the thing is, the dog doesn't know intrinsically that peeing against the sofa is wrong. All he knows is that the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to get walloped. And he doesn't want to, so he hides. But he doesn't have a conscience. You have a conscience. And when you're a Christian, you can feed your conscience. The Holy Spirit is living in you. And it's your conscience that will primarily tell you what you should and shouldn't do to walk in obedience to God. It's your conscience that will tell you what God would want you to do in any situation. And it's such a helpful thing. Listen to your conscience. God has given it to you to help you. But here's the catch. Your conscience isn't the same thing as the voice of God. Forget any images you have of a Tom and Jerry cartoon with this kind of angel sat on your shoulder kind of speaking the right thing to you. It's not like that. Your conscience needs instruction. It needs feeding with truth. Your own sense of right and wrong needs to be aligned with God's word. And you can either feed your conscience with truth or you can damage it with lies. But I tell you, nothing damages your conscience more quickly than unresolved sin. You see, your conscience should keep you from sin. As you listen to its counsel. Or failing that, it should convict you of sin and drive you back to God in repentance. But if it doesn't do that, then you are taking a red hot poker and you're scorching it. You're deadening it so that it no longer sounds in your mind. It's a seared conscience. So don't live with unresolved sin. No matter how big or how small it is, it's the first step to the shipwreck of your faith. Maybe the issue is pornography, guys. Maybe the first time you looked at a dodgy film or a dodgy website or that TV channel, you felt so bad. You felt dirty and sullied and that that you'd let God down badly. But you didn't do anything about it. And then the second time, it didn't seem quite so bad. And then the third time and the fourth time. And now maybe it hardly registers in your conscience at all. It's a seared conscience. Maybe the issue is lying. Telling those little white lies. Maybe it's exaggerating the truth. 
Maybe it's responding cynically and negatively to things that you hear. Whatever it is, wake up. Instruct your conscience with the truth of God's word and and listen to its counsel. Listen to what it tells you. You can come to God in repentance. You must every time. Come to God this time. Come to God every time. Don't let sin stay unresolved. And then there are more steps on the sad road to the shipwreck of your faith. When your conscience has been seared, you have a distorted view of right and wrong. And your allegiance changes in the spiritual battle. And this is almost too awful to consider, but it's right there in Scripture. Those who abandoned the faith followed deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. There is a spiritual battle being fought over your life and over the life of this church. God's kingdom is advancing, but the devil would just love to thwart our efforts and sow confusion. And he prowls around like a a lion. And if he sees you living with unresolved sin, he spots you like a, a wounded animal that's been separated from the herd. And before you know it, he's given you a mouthpiece. He's given you an audience to, to speak to. But what you say doesn't serve the purposes of God. It's a harmful distraction because this is the work of the enemy. And rather than serving God, you are following deceiving spirits. And if you follow that road on, it leads eventually to the abandonment of your faith. It's shipwreck. And that's the opposite of godliness. And this is what was happening in in Ephesus. But Ephesus wasn't unusual. This is just church life. This is the reality of the battle that we are in. So be on your guard. See, this sorry state is wholly avoidable. It's completely unnecessary. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross. To break that power of sin. To redeem you. To restore you back to him. So don't go down that road. Okay? That's the opposite of godliness. Let's look more positively from this passage then at the source of godliness. You see, the firstly, godliness comes from truth and good teaching. Verses 6 and 7 say this. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Well, this is quite straightforward, really. If you want to be godly... If you want to have a life that is devoted to God, then the truth of God's word is essential to you. And this is really the message of the whole of 1 Timothy. Don't allow people to spread false teaching, but rather hold on to the truth. And as a church, we need to hold on to the truth. Hold on to what we believe, because we are the pillar and foundation of truth. But it's also true in your life. And you need to feed on the truth of God's word. Read your Bible. It's amazing how many sermons you can preach on how many subjects 
And it all kind of comes down to that. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. You need to. It's never too early to start reading your Bible, either in terms of your age or, uh, or in, in the Christian life, in terms of how long you've been a Christian. Timothy was brought up in the truths of the faith. From the very start, he wanted to discover more about this God who had created him and gone to the cross for him and, and chosen him for eternal salvation. So, uh, so hear that encouragement. Get into your Bible. Read a little bit each day. Each day, ask yourself, what does this teach me about my God? But not only was Timothy brought up in the truth, he also received teaching. And while reading the Bible for yourself is an essential activity, you also need to take as many opportunities as you can to receive good quality teaching. And there is value in in reading good Christian books. And uh, you might want to go to the odd conference, like the one at Brighton, it's good, it will feed you. But your bread and butter teaching from the word of God comes from this place on a Sunday. This is your spiritual food. And it's worth remembering again, isn't it, how blessed we are as a church to have John amongst us with his, his calibre of teaching gift. I tell you, people from all over the world listen to what John preaches here by, by downloading it from our website. This is good teaching. I don't know about this. I'm talking about John, really. Okay. <laughs> the teaching you get in this church will lead you to godliness. So don't miss out. Don't sell yourself short. Make every effort to be here. Download sermons that, that you, you miss. We're thinking of possibly, occasionally, introducing uh, more of a teaching element to Sunday evenings. So make the most of that as well. And of course, Timothy didn't just receive good teaching. He didn't sit under Paul and, and listen to those words and, and, and fill up notebooks. Verse 6 says that this was teaching that Timothy followed. He took it and, and he applied it to his life. And his life was changed as a result. And uh, you need to do that. You need to do what you can to let the teaching that you've received actually change the way you think and speak and live. And the purpose of preaching is to build faith and, and bring revelation, but ultimately it's to affect change. So that we're all conformed a little bit more to God's will as he reveals it in his word. And that's why you have the study notes in your community groups, the life application notes. They're not meant to be a memory test. And, uh, and I know that can happen sometimes, because I've seen it happen. You know, people get out there, the notes they've taken on Sunday and say, oh, I've got the answer to number three, it's, it's this and this. But that's not really what it's about. The real aim of the word section in your community group is to make a connection between what was preached on Sunday and the lives of the people in your group. In all their nitty gritty reality. And it may be that just one question will do that. Or maybe a couple of questions. And if a subject really connects with people, then sometimes it's, it's good to introduce some sort of accountability. Not every week, 
but just sometimes, and you say, we're going to follow this up. Next week, we're going to see how we've got on with this. That's applying the word to your life. Jesus said this, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. Now, that was part of a parable that Jesus was telling. He won't really come and beat you. But it shows the seriousness of knowing the truth and yet doing nothing with it. He said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Well, I think we've been given much in this church. And as you receive good teaching, don't just listen, let faith come. And determine in your heart to follow. Because godliness comes from truth. And good teaching that is properly applied to your life. So that's the first thing. Then secondly, godliness comes from fellowship with one another. And there's really just just one thing I want to, to say here. You see, the whole point of Paul leaving Timothy in Ephesus was so that he could actually be there with the church and actually live in the community and and get involved in in church life. Yeah, I mean, Timothy was was commissioned to to bring teaching and instruction, but if, if all that was required was teaching, then Paul could have done that. He could have done that by writing a letter, probably. But what was needed here, as much as teaching, was an example It was a lifestyle that people could see with their own eyes and imitate. And so as Timothy received these instructions from Paul in chapter 4, he he wasn't in isolation. He he had the the church around him. So in verse 6 and 11, he's told to command and teach. But in verse 12, Paul says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example Verse 15, give yourself to this so that everyone may see your progress. And Timothy's life provided an example to the church, which as he just mixed with them and just shared his life with them in all its kind of humdrum reality, it actually resulted in lives being changed. It resulted in godliness. Now, Timothy was in a position of leadership And so the example of his life was very important. As elders, I'm always aware that we should, we should always be leading by example and not just with words. I mean, heaven help us if that was ever not the case. My dad used to say to me in jest, I think, don't do as I do, but do as I tell you. And uh, that's obviously no way to be leading a church, exercising godly leadership in any capacity. Whatever position of leadership you're in, make sure that your words are backed up by the example of your life. When you're encouraging somebody in your community group to invite people on Alpha, and and please do do that, what better way is there than to say, well, I've invited this person and and they're thinking about it and they're going to get back to me and who else can we invite in this group? Lead by example. But there is a principle here that goes beyond leadership. You see, we are all in fellowship with one another. That's what church is. 
And there was something about Timothy persevering with his ministry and and progressing and, and doing that very openly and publicly that was simply an encouragement to those around him. Here was this young guy who was doing well. And I think it stirred people. It it provoked them. Well, do you know, we need each other in this church. We need the example of each other's lives. You see, I know that I need you. John is my leader. And uh, the example of his life is impeccable. And I do appreciate that. And I, I do receive encouragement from that. But you know, it's not my greatest source of encouragement. What really encourages me and spurs me on is when someone, perhaps not in any form of leadership, maybe somebody who's been struggling with life a bit, going through a rough patch, comes to me and says, do you know, God has spoken to me and I so want to live for him. Or when someone comes to me all excited and says, do you know what, I prayed and God did it. He, he showed up and answered my prayer. That's the example that spurs me on to godliness. See, I don't know how you view your role in the church, the contribution that, that you make, the usefulness of what you bring. But I think it's massive. Whoever you are, I need you. And I don't think I'm unique. People around you need you. And the encouragement that you bring as you share your struggles, as you share the, and celebrate the little victories together, we're drawn together as a church and we're all provoked. We are all encouraged forwards in godliness. So please hear that. I'm obviously many people in very responsible positions in the church, lots of people serving in, in every capacity. But this isn't just about serving This is about sharing of your life and and who you are and whatever your role and and position in the church. Whenever you have a little victory in Christ, whether it's big or whether it's small, when God moves you forward, when God answers prayer in your life or develops your character in some way, be open about that. Let people around you see it because the encouragement that you bring is huge. And that's what church is. And godliness comes from that kind of fellowship. And then finally, there's just one more thing I want to say, and that's that godliness comes from using your gifting. In verse 14, Paul said to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy had been given a gift from God. And both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy refer to this gift that Timothy had. But nowhere does it explicitly say what the gift was. And presumably it was linked to his leadership and and his preaching and teaching of the word. But the important thing is that Timothy knew what that gift was. He knew what Paul was referring to because he was specific. This wasn't any gift. It was that gift. Do you remember the the, the prophecy and and the elders and the hands? Well, well, don't neglect that gift. Well, you might not have had a a body of elders lay hands on you. 
I mean, that sounds quite scary to me. So uh, you might not have had that experience. But maybe you've got a gift that you know is that gift. You remember how God used to use you. And it felt so right. People recognised this, this gifting in you. Maybe it was prophecy or, or healing. Maybe it was evangelism or something else. Well, there is a challenge here for you. Don't neglect your gift. Don't ignore it or let it grow cold. In 2 Timothy, it has a similar exhortation, but puts it positively. Fan into flame the gift of God. It means keep stoking it. Keep renewing it. Keep refreshing it. You see, God, by his Holy Spirit, has put something in you. And it's not deserved. It's not a measure of your holiness. It's just a gift of his grace. But there is a responsibility on you. You do have to do something. You have to not neglect it. Don't let the gift lie dormant. Rather, fan it into flame. We were around uh, at Damon and Tita's last night. We were talking about blowing out candles. And um, I, I have this thing. I'm going to share something with you. A fascinating insight to my personal anatomy. In that I find it quite difficult to blow out candles. Because when I blow like that, the, the air just kind of does that. It's very diffuse. I have a very unfocused blow. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? And uh, I don't know why I, I struggle to even blow out a candle. I can blow with all my might. And the candle just kind of flutters in the breeze. And uh, we, we have a log fire at home. And, and Ali is much better at lighting it than I am. Because sometimes you, you light the fire and it, and it burns for a bit but then just dies down. And uh, what I do is I get down low and I, I blow. And all I get is like a face full of ash for, for my trouble. So Ali comes along and, and she gets down and she blows. And the whole thing just bursts into flame. I, I find it quite annoying, actually, if I'm honest. But uh, the truth was that although it looked dead, the heat was there. The heat was there in the middle of that fire. The potential was there. It just needed effort. It just needed exercising and, and releasing. So how do you take your gift and fan it into flame. Well, firstly, you need to identify the gift. And that might be a case of remembering the gift you once had that has now grown cold. Or it may be that you, you genuinely don't know. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says that God's grace gifts have been given to every believer. In different measures, but to everyone. Without exception. Why? Because Jesus just loves to use his church to build his church. He's in partnership with you to strengthen and encourage those around you. So if you're really not sure what your area of gifting is, then I encourage you to pray. Ask God to make it clear to you. Read some key passages of scripture to get an idea what you're looking for. 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12, even Ephesians 4. And then begin to experiment in a safe way, maybe in your community group or, or with friends, those sort of close around you, and see how God uses you. 
If it's prophecy, start with words of scripture. Speak out a tongue during worship. And don't forget the other gifts, such as showing mercy, giving, administration. Try it out. And if it goes well, try it again. Take faith steps and see what God does. And what you're looking for is something that really connects with your spirit. Something that kind of causes a spark within you. And you thought, oh, that sounds good. That felt good. But what you're also looking for, perhaps more importantly, is something that is recognised by others in some way. So often it's hard to see what you yourself have. But others will identify the gifting in you. Someone will come to you and say, when you speak to me, you really encourage me. And you think, uh-huh. Or someone will say, that verse that you brought me, I'd been looking at the exact same thing last week. And so this really confirms it. And that way, the gift is identified. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you need to add fuel. These are called the gifts of the Spirit for a reason. They're given by the Holy Spirit. They are the action of the Holy Spirit. And whenever you are moving in that gifting, whether it's a more charismatic gift or a a practical gift, it is an overflow of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. We need to be people of the word, but we also need to be people of the Spirit. Be baptised in the Holy Spirit if you never have. Be properly birthed as a Christian. But then continually look for that refreshing and topping up of the Spirit. You will never take your gift and fan it into flame if you are not first tanked up with the Holy Spirit. And he's not an unwilling resident in your life. Sometimes we have this image of God, don't we? But it's not like that. You have to put up barriers to keep him out. So don't do it. Invite him in. If you spend time in worship and in prayer, you know, for this, pray particularly for the church. If you spend time meditating on scripture, if you deal with sin quickly, so it is resolved, then you will have all the fuel you need for the fire. And then finally, you need to exercise your gift. Take your gifting, whatever it is, and fan it into flame. You've identified your gift. You're all fueled up with the Holy Spirit. Well, don't leave that gift sat on the shelf. Use it. Exercise it. Walk in it. And that's not always the most comfortable thing to do. Because it takes faith. And it means putting yourself out there and and perhaps taking a risk. But God hasn't given you this gift for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the church. It's to bless the church. To build her up. The gifts of the Spirit bring unity and maturity to God's people. So go on then. Take this gift and fan it into flame. Whether it's prophecy or healing or tongues. Teaching. Bringing words of knowledge or evangelism or or something else. Why not pray that God will give you an opportunity to use that gift in the next week or the next couple of weeks? That he will use you to bless your community group or to bless specific individuals in the church or groups of people, your friends, 
or even the whole body of the church. Why not? And using your gifting will lead you into godliness because of the faith that is required. You see, godliness is a life devoted to God. And when you, like Timothy, say, I'm going to take the gifts that God has given me and I'm going to use them. I'm going to use them to bless the church for God's glory. Then that's devotion. And that's godliness. And godliness is is one of those Christian words that we, we talk about, but is often not a lot of effect in our lives and the way we live. And I believe godliness is the only response to a God who has done so much for you. He's given you his authority and is now entrusting you with his name. So come on, let's make sure that we are pursuing godliness. That we're not heading down that road that leads ultimately to the abandonment of the faith. But quite the opposite, we are pursuing godliness together. We are men and women of the word and the spirit. We are in fellowship with one another and working together to make the church strong, to make it strong against the enemy and strong for the advance that God would have for us. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's have the worship group back up. I'd like to sing.